0: This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, RetailOpeningsAndClosings.com. In today's dynamic retail landscape, tracking openings and closings before they take place has never been more important. Having this intelligence is an undeniable competitive advantage. RetailOpeningsandClosings.com, also known as Rock, tracks future openings and future closings. Comprehensive, accurate, and reliable, the Rock is your crystal ball and the key to making well-informed decisions with confidence in today's evolving retail climate. I am pumped about today. We have Amir Zuweiko on the show. Amir is a co-founder and the head of real estate for Showfields, this unbelievable concept that is really changing how people think about retail. So I think everyone's gonna like his perspective, how he looks at the world and the story about the deal that they just signed in Miami that's not even yet open yet on Lincoln Road. But before we go there, I wanted to talk about unplugging. There's a, a lot out there about unplugging to relax, unplugging to, to rest. There's this whole mindfulness movement where people are meditating. And I think that is amazing. But something personal to me that I've realized with unplugging and I've done you know bits and pieces where I unplug to Rest and relax, not think about anything. One of the things I've realized for myself is I need to actively unplug to think, which is counterintuitive because you're running and gunning and moving so fast. Your mind is racing and going through the motions and trying to get things done. People are trying to get things done and they're moving at a fast pace and they're emailing and they're texting and they're calling. There isn't a lot of time to sit down and just brainstorm, come up with ideas, write in a journal your thoughts and strategize. And so while most people think of unplugging to rest, relax, and be mindful, I would suggest that people take some time to unplug in order to actually think, to get some moments of clarity where they can... Have some idea generation. Because in a busy world, it's hard to just sit down and without a phone, without a TV, without distractions. Imagine sitting for two hours on your couch, not moving, with a blank notebook and a pen and thinking of ideas and writing them down. If you haven't done that lately, I recommend you unplug and you spend some time thinking. I hope everyone enjoys the show. I think it's gonna be a fascinating one. It's been one of my it's one of my favorites. And have a great weekend, everyone. Welcome everyone to Retail Retold. This episode is an exciting one. We have Amir Zwickel from Showfields. Amir is the a co-founder. And he runs the real estate for Showfields. Welcome to the show, Amir.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. My pleasure being here.
0: This this is exciting. Showfields is getting a lot of press out there right now, and you guys are pretty innovative. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Showfields, who you guys are, and what you guys are up to these days?
1: Sure. Um, so, <clears throat> Showfields is the most interesting store in the world. And I'll explain why. Basically, we started this journey around three years ago, um, and it all started from this weird observation we had, um, which was, you know we noticed that we enjoy much more from online ads for brands that we see online than we enjoy from physical retail industry. Uh, Or you can say it otherwise, our Instagram feed was much more intriguing and interesting than what we experienced on on the street. Um, And this gap, this huge gap between the huge variety of brands and innovation, um, that we see online and and what's lacking in the streets. That's what started our journey and and along the way. And we asked ourselves why, how could it be? Because we live in this unique point of time in which there's more innovation, more cool brands out there than probably any other point of time in history. Uh, but still, when you when you walk the streets of New York, London, Tokyo, Tel Aviv, it all looks the same, and none of these streets have the brands that my friends and I shop. Uh, and that's what started our journey and along the way we found out that the reason for that is basically that it's really easy to start your business online, but it's almost impossible opening your own physical store, finding the right size of the space and signing on the long-term commitment from the space and renovating it and designing it and operating it, hiring staff, um, having the technology to understand whatever went on there. Otherwise, you have no chance to succeed in the physical world today, generating the traffic. So. All these barriers prevent from most of the brands in the world today, or more than 90% of the brands in the world today, from being able to even consider prime location physical retail. And then we thought, if we could make the process of opening your own physical store to be as easy as it is to open a website, uh, we can then solve a huge problem for all these beautiful online brands. And while solving their problem, solve for the real problem that we're trying to solve, which is bringing back the sense of discovery to the physical world. Um, And that's basically what we do at Showfields. We lower the barriers 20 to 0, allowing anyone who wants to get in to do so very, very easily. And once you do that, suddenly you have dozens of thousands of brands who can and want to open their own physical store, which allows us to curate and pick the most interesting brands out there. And that's also why we call ourselves the most interesting store in the world, because uh, we're able to pick the most interesting brands out there and showcase them inside our building. Uh, the way we practically achieve that <clears throat> is by taking relatively big locations, around 15,000 square feet each, um, and dividing them to two types of areas. 50% of the space, we call it show, and the other 50% we call it field. Uh, the show part includes content, art, experiences that are rotating and changing all the time. Includes a food and beverage component with a place where people can hang, uh, changing art exhibitions, lounge, lounges of new products, lectures by brands founders, uh, yoga lessons for the local community, movie nights, workshops, panels, uh, whatever you can think about that drives the right traffic to the door. In the other 50%, these are the fields, which is basically our product. Uh, you can think about it uh, as contained rooms. In each one of them, uh we bring to life a certain brand and we tell their story in a very immersive and elegant way uh around everything there's the technology that we've developed in the last couple of years uh which comes into place in many different areas of our business but uh, I'll mention just two of them one is the onboarding process when a brand is invited to join showfields uh they go through a very seamless six steps process all done online until they can activate their own store basically a brand doesn't need to even step in new york in order to activate the store in our own location Uh, the other place where we use a lot of technologies in order to capture and measure everything going on in inside our store so uh, there are analytic cameras and sensors spread out uh, along the building Um, and we capture a lot of data there Um, we use this data for two main purposes one is to constantly optimize the design of the space to better the user engagement. So we use modular systems that allow us to relatively easily change. And two, in order to push back, and that's the most important thing, to push back value to these brands. Because these brands are used to live online. They're used to benefit from many levels of engagement, apart from sales of tangible goods. Um, And we try to allow them to do the same thing in the physical world, right? So uh, they get access to a live dashboard. They can access 24-7 and see everything that went on. Uh, inside their space to so how many people entered from the street to show and how many people entered their space and heat map and dwell time in front of each product and the demographics of the people who walk their space, male, female, age groups, etc And we always add more and more features with the intent to allow these brands to justify the cost of being at show not only by um, the traditional ROI of retail, which is sales. Uh, brands do great sales at show don't understand me wrong, but we try to provide them many other types of OIs, well. the idea is to open similar locations in every major city around the world in the next few years.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Unbelievable.
1: Yeah. On, on our second location in Miami, so we're super, super excited about that, and I'm happy to share more if you want. Uh, we're going to sign another deal this year, and keeping on scaling as we move forward.
0: That's unbelievable. A lot of information there, so some questions. So, how are you choosing these brands? Mm-hmm. How, how do you choose? Right, you're curating. I know. I know a brand can, uh, you know, basically fill out an application or in, in their six-step process to go on. But you guys are curating and choosing some brands as well, correct?
1: Sure. So we curate all brands. Uh, we say no to brands every day. Um, either because we, we think they don't fit well um or you know like we don't believe they'll be successful at showfields we we don't want brands that we don't think that will be successful at showfields but to your question when when i think about when we think about curation first of all the person who leads that for showfields is my co-founder katie hunt so katie is uh, very very knowledgeable and experienced in all the t2c industry area uh she was the third employee of Moby parker and the cmo of Inge before they got sold so she leads that part, but to your question, what, we, what we're looking for when we're thinking about the brands or trying to identify the brands that would be the most interesting, we, we're looking for brands that share the same DNA, meaning they all have to be mission-driven, design-oriented, consumer-centric, and they're all basically after the same consumer, which is also what makes them empower each other together in this building.
0: So one of the things you know you mentioned that mission-driven design of product and consumer-centric, but and most retailers uh, have things like that. But what they are they're also driven by a product segment. When I walk into a show fields, there might be electronics, there might be clothing, right? There's it's not any one type of product. So
1: actually, we do have a like few verticals that all brands need to fall into. Okay. One of them is wellness. And we, when we think about wellness, we think about the wider definition of wellness, more like well-being. Uh, but wellness is one vertical that we're focused on, the other one being fashion and design. And the third one is um, lifestyle technology.
0: In my brain, I saw TVs and I saw some you know, fashion, but now those three verticals make a lot of sense to me. Wellness, fashion design, and lifestyle technology brands. That's Apparently awesome. Currently,
1: what's, what's going on in our, in our bond location is that the third floor is focused on fashion and design. The first floor is focused on wellness brands. And the second floor is uh, hosting the theatrical experience called House of Showfields, which is... Um, a very innovative experience that we launched around six months ago uh, was supposed to take place only for a month, but um, we found ourselves extending it to six months eventually because uh, there was a huge demand. Uh, we brought in more than 60,000 people to do that experience so far.
0: Incredible. And I love the strategy, you guys. It's well thought out. Are,
1: are uh, the I brand- hope So, you know, we're still thinking about it. Uh, <laughs> it's part of that band. <laughs> part of the advantage or the fun part of being a startup, right? Like uh, we try to make as many mistakes as we can now and experiment with as many things as we can. We, we don't think that we found the like perfect, perfect formula. And now all that we need is just scale it 300 times. Uh, We're still like uh, very open to changes and we're changing all the time.
0: That, that experimentation is paramount and that it's awesome to hear that you're still doing it. These brands, are they coming to you and want to be in the store more to drive rem- revenue or more for branding opportunity?
1: It really depends on the brand. Um, so we have four types of brands at Showfields. The first type being anchor brands. Uh, so for them, it's basically another sales channel, um, although they also get a lot of marketing value. Um, and all of them make money even only from sales at Showfield. That said, the, all of them also using uh, Showfields as a marketing platform to launch their new products, et cetera. Um, the second part is emerging brands, up-and-coming brands. Um, these brands can make only, like, let's say, $5 million a year. Some of them a bit less even. Um, and for them, it's more about experimenting with physical retail, right? Like they'll do sales. Some of them will even like make money even only from sales. Uh, but for them, they get so, many, so much other value as well because they get to learn their consumers. And they, 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 they get to to learn what's working more and what's working less. Uh, they get to use Showfields as a platform to launch themselves and to, to promote themselves. They get social exposure. Um, Showfields got more than 300 billion impressions in social media in the first year of activity. Oh my God. Uh, and all of our brands benefited from that. I think there's almost no brand who didn't get, like, media mentions as a result of being in Showfield. Um, and most of them got a lot of them. Uh, so That's it really fantastic. depends on the brand. The third type of brand, by the way, is uh, curating brand. Uh, a good example would be Shopify, who entered Showfield for a few months. And together with them, we curated brands who use their platform from the home district. Uh, another example for a curating brand that was in Showfields is Brand Assembly or the Council of Fashion Designers who had a space at Showfields. And finally, the fourth type is Legacy Brands. Uh, so legacy Brands are brands that have been there for a while. Most of them have a lot of stores already. Um, and for them, in order to come to Showfields, they would need to do something that they haven't done before in the physical world, meaning create an experience that uh, doesn't exist in any of your other locations. Uh, and for them, it's like it's it's a bunch of reasons, but also uh, among the rest, it would be associating themselves with called the cool kid or like um, this, you know, um, um, innovative environment uh, of brands at
0: Showfields. Incredible. And, and so I come into Showfields and I think, you know, innovative new concepts and experiencing things. I can buy product in the store.
1: Sure. Uh, So all brands in Showfields sell their products in the store and basically uh, we allow them total flexibility there as well. So if you want to have a shop and carry model where people can actually live with the product, you can do that. Uh, We manage your inventory, the building, or you can have a showroom model where people can only ship to home. Uh, Most brands in Showfields currently choose the first option with the shop and carry. We found out that people actually still want to go out of the store with the bag and a product. Uh, for us, it was surprising, uh, but this is what we found out.
0: Instant gratification. People want it now.
1: And exactly.
0: Right? Yeah. That that instant, people, it, that feel good moment when you get that awesome product. And it's you... a
1: bit hard when you have a brand that sells mattresses, but yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, totally. That is that is that is hard uh, for sure to to take that home. You need a really big bag. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's actually. <laughs> it's a, it's a challenge so i used to work for sherwin williams the paint stores company you know a really awesome paint stores company fortune 500 they they did a really good job and when we were entering new york city in the early 2000s one of the things we were thinking about if someone you know in suburban america people take the paint and they put it in their car and they drive home in in manhattan they would have to walk and walking with multiple five-gallon jugs of paint is not easy. So how do you do that, right? And so we were, you know, similar to, I guess, your mattress challenge. And, and so, you know, you've got this amazing, innovative concept. Your revenue stream, does that come from the brands paying to be in the store or a typical wholesale retail environment?
1: Um, so we don't touch brand sales. Uh, they get to keep everything that they sell. Uh, but brands pay us a flat fee every month. By the way, there's a lot of thought process behind not touching brand sales. Uh, we we feel that part of the reason for which um, all retail spaces around the world more or less look the same and all multi-vendor retail envi- retail environments look the same and host the same brands is because everyone are optimizing for sales. Eventually, you have their VP merchandising that asks one question. We will make more money from it. Um, and, and we decided that the person we want to optimize for is the consumer entering the door. So the only thing that we're optimizing for is consumer engagement and we can't be biased and that's why we, we don't want to touch brand sales and, and also some of our brands are not after sales.
0: Wow, that is a fascinating concept. I hadn't looked at it that way before uh, in why there's similarity, but that makes sense. There might be some VP of merchandising who's trying to generate the most, and it might be one brand, and you end up with the same in too many stores.
1: You end up not being even exposed to new brands. And also, part of our brands are not after sales, and, and I can give many examples. Like One of them was, is the, the city of Nashville activated a beautiful space until a few days ago at Chofield's and and activated it with live shows of top artists uh, they curated music that was either created in Nashville or by Nashville artists. Um, and their goal was to encourage tourism to Nashville by branding it as music city. And uh, they collected thousands of thousands of emails of, of people who who could come in and, and plan a trip to Nashville. It's only one example. Um, there are other brands looking for like different types of engagement, not necessarily sales. And for us, all brands are equal. Uh, so the only thing we're optimizing for is consumer engagement. We Incredible. feel, by the way, that eventually it will make these brands successful as well.
0: Incredible. And how, what's the typical duration that a brand is in your store?
1: So brands uh, join Showfields for six months. Uh, that allows us to, cu- to create two very big brow moments along the year. Uh, the next one is going to be March 26th when we're going to launch our spring curation. Uh, very excited about that. A lot of Beautiful new brands that we're going to bring to life there, and we work with all these brands PR companies, um, you know, to create uh, as much buzz as we can around it and excitement. We we invite different influencers and journalists know, to experience the brand first, and, and we make we organize a big party around it. Awesome, six months, yeah.
0: Awesome, and 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 you know, we didn't talk about it in the beginning. What's your background, Amir? How did how did you end up? Where did you, you come from to end up creating this special place?
1: So actually, I come from real estate. I've uh, been doing real estate more or less my entire life. Um, did some other type of entrepreneurship as well. I had a magazine in Israel and a few hospitality businesses um, many years ago. But mostly real estate, Been uh, real estate developer in Israel before moving here. And since 2014, I've been doing real estate development here in the U.S. First, I led two deals that we did in Brooklyn, very small ones. Um, later on, we, together with the other guys, we started a fund that provided mezzanine loans to one of LA's largest developers. And um, a couple years back, also partnered with two other people to raise a fund that did 14 deals in the area of uh, the Durham Triangle area in North Carolina, where we invested mostly in generating assets, but some developments as well. Um, and I came here to New York, uh, basically to do the master in real estate development, uh, in Columbia university. And my plan was to become a developer and start with small deals and go my way until I become a big developer. Um, and coming here, you know, um, as a good Israeli, I was very opportunistic and, and was looking for like the most distressed market and obviously it's retail. Same way the office was very distressed in uh, 2009. Retail is very distressed. The only reason you don't see literally blood in the streets is that it's happening to the wealthiest families in the U.S. and they're not that high leverage, so, so they can deal with it, most of them. Although here and there you see that the big closures happening. So the, the industry is super distressed and where there is a distressed industry, there is an opportunity. And more or less around this time, like I was introduced to Tal, my co-founder, who was thinking about, um solving this huge problem for online brands and and allowing them short-term uh activation in in the physical world and kind of like all connected and since this day, uh it was three years ago we we've been working on that together and uh i've been leading the real estate part for showfield which includes construction and um sourcing for new locations extension strategy and so on
0: wow and are you guys all self-funded or did you guys raise money? How'd you get? how you get to where you are today?
1: So we raised money um, from both VC funds and from uh, large real estate investors. Awesome, the capital-intensive business. <laughs> Understood. You know, at least for the first location, right? As you as you move forward, you get way more favorable terms and and you're, you're much more credit-worthy.
0: One last question on that before we move to Miami for a second. So, you know, you mentioned earlier and a topic I've been talking to a lot of people about is the cost of entry to actually open an online store an online brand and do business online is, is inexpensive, but to scale and make a profit and I've heard is challenging. And I've heard the number is when an online brand gets to $10 million, if they don't open up a physical presence, that it will be challenging to turn a profit. Or I've heard when they get to Series C funding, you know, they're going to start to open physical stores because if they don't, it's going to be a challenge to make a profit. What's your take on pure e-commerce and the profitability of pure e-commerce?
1: Yeah. Um, So, you know, 15 years ago, the race to the online world has started, um, and it it used to be the edge being online. And the thing is that now everyone got to the finish line, um, and it's super, super hard to stand out because there's huge noise online. So, you know, competing with Casper on on metrics clicks or with Warby Parker on sunglasses clicks, um, it's something that you would need to spend a lot of money in order to do. Um, and we were thought to think that, thought to think that, um, you know, there's this huge traditional retail industry, $2 trillion industry still growing, but very slowly. And this new animal only $600 billion industry, but growing much, much faster, the e-commerce. And the discussion was always, who's going to win physical retail or e-commerce. And now everyone understands that one cannot live without the other. And there is this huge world in between. Uh, we call it e-commerce, the showfield C for consumer, <clears throat> where a successful physical touch points can, can happen today. Um, and you see brands that, that understand it very well. Um, and this e-commerce world is where showfield intends to dominate in the next few years. Uh, we, by the way, break down this e-commerce uh, world to five Cs uh, that are all required in order to actually create a, physical, a successful physical touch point today. It was always hard to create a successful physical touchpoint, but today it's even harder uh, because the consumer has changed and they have different needs and desires. So the first C is convenience; it has to be very convenient for the brand to pop up. It has and it has to be very convenient for the consumer to discover these brands. Second C is curation because we're saying that. You know we're moving now from the edge of creation, which is the reason why we experience this huge variety of brands and innovation, to the edge of curators, which is the reason why we experience all these influencers. Uh, each one of them is a curator in his own field, and successful B2C physical environment has to be curated environment. Um, third C is content, because creating Instagrammable moments is just not enough anymore. The consumer today is sophisticated and intelligent, and they're looking for something a bit more than that. And fourth C is community, because it's a must around D2C brands. Um, and and we try to do that at Showfields, initiating hundreds of community events. Um, and, the fifth, five, and the fifth and then the last C is connection, because the real challenge is that achieving one of these Cs is just not enough. You need to do it all in order to be successful. And I think that's also what differentiates Showfields from, like, any other innovator in retail today? That we have a very holistic approach about everything we do, and we try to rethink retail from top to bottom. Um, and it's not just you know being opportunistic about the vacant space or uh, solving the vacancies for landlords. Uh, we try to rethink it.
0: Incredible. I guess one thing as you were listing those five C's, and it's really interesting, and I I, I love the C Commerce idea and what I hadn't heard that before and that's probably because you guys invented it one of the things that you you didn't touch on which a lot of retail thinks about often is value where does that fit in and where you're thinking about price point and price sensitivity to consumers is is that a is that a thought process or because you're in some you know high-end markets you're not think you know price is not a concern
1: I think it really, it depends on our locations, right? Um, I think that like, it's a thought process behind every location that we're going to open, it really depends on the specific location where we open. But currently when I look at Bond Street price point wise, we have, you know, we have products that are sold for 20 bucks and we have products that are sold for 2,500 bucks and, and, and from both edges, we have like very successful brands. Uh, so we show these lives within like a high income type of environment in NoHo, um, <clears throat> but it may change, right? So, you know, it really depends on, on where we go. And and I don't think that the curation of brands in Miami is going to look like the curation of brands in, um, in New York. You know, part of what we're trying to do is also become a stage to the local environment of brands and artists. So it's something that we're going to do in Miami and we're going to do wherever we go. Um, and, and I think that, that there would be uh, a lot of thought process behind price points going forward as well. But currently, it's, um, it's a range.
0: Great answer. Thank you. Uh, all right. So you guys just announced Miami. You're, you're opening a store in Miami. You know, tell me about how that deal happened. How did you choose Miami? And what were some of the things, maybe the lessons you learned from New York and that you applied to Miami?
1: Um, how much time you have. (laughs) You know, um, it's a lot of thought process behind like our expansion strategy. Very high level. um, First phase that that we're now tackling is opening a few more flagship locations. When I say flagship, I mean a first-tier city, first-tier location, building with a presence, very high traffic in the street. And I have to check all these boxes. Once I get to a point in which my brand equity is strong enough, And I don't know to tell you today if it's after five flagships, eight flagships or 12 flagships. Then we move to phase two, which would be to open dozens of more satellite locations. Satellite locations may be, you know, secondary locations within the first tier city uh, or shopping malls. We already get a lot, a lot of proposals every day. Uh, for such locations with not a lot of heavily from our from our end in terms of spend out of pocket, meaning bringing an innovator like us to a shopping mall is something that like a lot of shopping mall owners are after, so that's very high level, but like when I dive in the next few flagships that I want to open, so its it's kind of like obvious where like my then next cities would be, so I'm looking at a lot of cities and I'm looking for this intersection between brand equity, food traffic, and cashier. So that's one thing. Um, and it's just happening very, very well in Miami. Uh, the other thing about Miami is that um, the DNA of Miami fits very well with what Shofi is doing in terms of art, design, innovation, etc. Uh, it's a growing city, one of the most growing cities in the U.S. Um, so that helps as well. You know, it's not that Miami was a yes and a few other cities were a no. It was just everything I just said, combining it with the deals that we're looking at in each one of these markets, and this deal specifically, we liked it a lot. Uh, We believe that the location where we're going to open on Lincoln Road is uh, the right place for us to be. Uh, Not only that, Lincoln Road is maybe the only corridor, retail corridor in Miami that has high traffic 12 months a year. <clears throat> but also, our location on Lincoln Road will allow us to enjoy both from tourist clients and from locals <clears throat> because we're kind of like on the middle. We also sit within like few major destinations uh which made sense for me being one being the newly opened timeout market, the other one being the newly renovated convention center um and few other stuff such as one of the most successful Czar stores in the world, et cetera so that's what made sense about Miami yes, a real estate wise that like, you know, we learned in New York and applied in Miami. We were, were happy to find a two floor building uh, with smaller loss factor for us. Uh, if you remember, I mentioned before the 50% show, 50% fields, the amount of fields we call it util- utilization and it's uh, easier to to achieve the utilization that you want with smaller loss factor on vertical transportation. So that was one lesson. That, that said, I'm not saying that like I won't close any deals with multi-floors or like, more than two. It really depends on the deal, but here it made a lot of sense. I would say like, the classic deal that I would look at would be one floor or two.
0: One floor or two. So you like two floors, you can live with one floor, and you said the the vertical transportation was more of a challenge for shrink?
1: we have four floors there and we, we kind of like lose area on, on stairwell and, and on the elevator in each one of these four floors, the loss factor is higher and achieving the utilization that you wouldn't want is a bit more challenging.
0: Do you have security in the stores? Only in events. Only in events. Got it. So brand equity foot traffic uh, and, you know, it was a growth city And so, you know, Miami was one of multiple cities. You know, you mentioned London before, but I'm sure cities like Los Angeles are, are, you know, warm weather, 12 month a year foot traffic. We're
1: we're looking at Chicago. We're looking at many others.
0: Yep. And so you land in Miami, Lincoln Road is famous. You know, walk me through, you know, how you chose the specific piece of real estate.
1: Um, So first of all, after like, You know, identifying that Miami is a place where I need to be. Uh, It's basically diving into different sub markets within that city um, and understanding where you can open a flagship location or you can open a satellite location. Now when I penetrate a new city, I wanna first open a flagship because people still don't know who I am. Today in New York, people start knowing who I am, so I may be able to open a satellite location in New York. Uh, But in Miami, people still don't know who we are. So we want to open a flagship. So you're looking for the place that have the consistent traffic. Um, And these two places are probably one, Lincoln Road and Brickell City Center. Um, Assuming I don't want to go to a shopping mall and I didn't see a deal there that made sense for us in Brickell City Center, it was Lincoln Road. So then you need to dive in and understand all deals that exist on the road. Um, And that deal was, was the one that made sense together with another one. Uh, we brought um, all the major stakeholders from our team a few months back um, to Lincoln Road. We showed them both deals. All of them wanted the one on five thirty. Um, so we moved on to a very long negotiation until um, we signed last week.
0: And so the, the the long negotiation, you land on Lincoln Road, you land at five thirty. And were you competing for the space? Do you know with any other potential tenants?
1: Not that I know.
0: And was the big negotiation economics, or was it more the legal parts of the lease? What was what was the some of the key pieces that made this a long negotiation?
1: Uh, it's a good question. You know, it, it, um, these things just sometimes move very slowly, um, even when you want to move things faster. Sometimes you just can't, um, and you send you know your comments, and it just takes time especially when you deal with big institutional landlords. Um, Then there is a legal department there and everything takes more time and there's more stakeholders that need to like, uh, you know, take a look at that. So it's just very slow. Um, So in our case, it wasn't about the business terms too much. Like we we met the landlord and we agreed on the business terms uh, when they visited our New York store. Since then it was a legal negotiation. Just
0: time. I understand we're a big landlord, right? We're a large national landlord. And sometimes, you know, we try to do what we can. And I think we do a best in class job of speeding up the process. But yeah, we end up uh, definitely in negotiations sometimes longer than both parties would like. And it's both parties sometimes, you know, no one wants to give on certain things and people have their hot buttons. And it is it is what it is. Uh, you know, I hope to one day find the answer to make these negotiations go faster, but it is a, uh, it is, it, it, it can be a grind sometimes.
1: So we, we found a way, you know, like, uh, <laughs> that's what we do for our brands. Yeah. Um, we go through all the pain that, 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 uh, re- physical retail involves in order to save it for them. Uh, for our first deal, we signed on a 200 pages list with, you know, I guarantee and uh, I gave my first born. Um, <laughs> John Schofield, they sign on a two pages list with millennial proof language very very easy
0: understood I, I I guess the the replacement cost of one brand to the other though is very different than replacing Schofield's for to with another retailer and it's financeable and all that those good things and that's why you had to give your firstborn on the New York location <laughs> on the <laughs> that's funny on the on the Miami location so the construction of the space, you know, is there a combination of the landlords paying for some, you're paying for some, or you guys doing it? How's that working?
1: So there's always a component of TI, which of course I cannot disclose here, but there's always a component of TI. And um, the entire work that will be done there is going to be done by us. Unlike what happened in New York where there was a huge scope for the landlord and we built our scope in parallel to that. Um, in this case, it's only us.
0: Got it. So they're giving you the keys and a check, and you're building it.
1: Exactly. The building is um, in good condition. We're uh, we're doing the interior. Layout.
0: When do you think you'll open?
1: So we plan to open between May and June. Still don't have the final opening date, but in between uh, May first and June first, I guess.
0: What is it? And I know you can't disclose the TI.
1: Uh, oh. We we've submitted firms to the city um, a month and a half ago, um, and we're moving fast.
0: And so, I know you can't disclose the TI, but what is it costing to build out of showfields? They look incredible. The level of finish looks so high. Uh, it looks like it's expensive. What is it? What, what it, do you know? What it's costing you per square foot to build out of showfields today?
1: Uh. I know. I prefer not to disclose the number. I would just share that um, you know um, we met. I met Joseph Seed, on um, the chairman of Thor Equities in our building uh, in New York a few months back, and um, and I asked him because I, I know that uh, he saw the building before it was built, and he saw it after we did our interior fit out. And I told him, Joe, uh, there's probably no other person around there that knows retail better than you. Tell me how much do you think we spent here? He said. In between eight hundred to thousand bucks, um, I would say that we haven't even spent half than that.
0: Wow, that's great, that's great. So you guys are, you you guys are becoming construction gurus over there and figuring out how to build it for a cost conscious uh, price. That's good. Uh, that said, eight hundred to a thousand dollars a foot though is 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 a lot. Even half of that is a lot, right? And so. Um it, you know, but that level of finish is you know, first class and top tier. So
1: like closer to like uh you know, um between a quarter to a third than that. So um yeah. We, awesome. we we like um we have a very smart design that allows us to create an elevated type of environment without spending a ton of money on, on different um items within the space. Um so yeah.
0: That's great. So, how long were you negotiating this deal with them?
1: So, we're in touch with principals and May.
0: Eight months. So, eight months to get the deal done, uh, and you have a two-page agreement with your brands, and it gets done expeditiously. Maybe you can help change the retail real estate industry
1: in New York. By the way, it took way less.
0: It did take, it did way, take way less. York. York.
1: How long? But it took way less.
0: Got it. Okay. So. Anything unique about the story behind how you ended up in Miami and you're not open yet, but how the deal got done? You know, this is really cool. I I love the insight that you gave of how you guys look at markets and how you chose Miami and landed on Lincoln Road. Anything else interesting about this deal?
1: About the deal itself?
0: Yeah. Or did we hit it all?
1: Like, I think in general, like what's interesting about Lincoln Road is that you know, prices have been decreasing there uh, in the last few years. Um, and and I think like we're now reaching a big point where like Lincoln Road is coming back. Um, and I'm not only talking about shops; just so many good things that are going in, uh, including the convention center that finally completed the renovation, including the James Corner plan that is going to take place, uh, run by the same architect who did the Highline in New York who's going to uh, lead this project where the city of Miami Beach is investing dozens of millions of dollars and making landlords invest dozens of millions of dollars in activating the road with new art activations and and seating areas etc etc so i think like Lincoln Road is really heading to a good place and we're able to like enter this submarket exactly in the right point but you know time would tell.
0: Awesome Well, listen, that was an amazing story about Showfields and how you're viewing the world and a cool story about how Showfields is ending up in Miami. The last part of the show is three questions, Amir. So here they are. Question one. Best piece of commercial real estate advice?
1: Property tax is a bigger subject than you think.
0: Unbelievably true.
1: (laughs) You know, like... uh, some some tenants negotiate a deal, with, and I had friends that, like, luckily, I advised them on time on that. But you know, sometimes you negotiate a deal where, like, there's a it's a modified gross with like some basis of of property tax, and the tenant is telling himself, okay, the the landlord is going to pay up to this base, and like uh, this is the base, like, and then and, and I'm not going to pay the increases, but like it's not going to be a lot, and and they don't even go and analyze like what's going to happen to the the assessment of the property and to the to the future property tax levels just because they're entering the property. And so it, it can be it can it can really kill your business if you don't pay specifically not only to your lawyer who negotiates the lease for you, but to a tax lawyer to prepare projections for the next 10, 15 years to understand exactly before you start negotiating it with the landlord. So that's,
0: that's great advice. Question two. Obviously opening showfields you were a fan of retail or shopping. Extinct retailer you wish would come back from the dead.
1: hmm that's an easy one. I really like Blockbuster.
0: Awesome, you do? Oh, man.
1: I think they have a great brand.
0: Amazing. Do you watch Netflix now? Yeah. <laughs> awesome, all right. Last question, I'm gonna give you a product. I just purchased the product. So I got a new mattress and I stay at Weston's when I travel often, and I love their bed and pillows, so I actually bought the Weston and Down pillow. And I'm on Weston's website, you know, this is a, I would call the Weston Hotels an unknown D to C brand. You should get them in Showfields, their pillows are amazing. What? <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm, How much I'm, is the pillow?
0: That, that's the question, what does the pillow cost?
1: 120
0: you're, You know your prices It's close $99 So um, If you get the pillow protector It's an extra 14 So Anyway Thank you for playing Amir It's been amazing Thanks for coming on I am Excited about you guys You guys are Definitely revolutionary And you guys are doing something awesome Keep it up And if You know You ever need anything Don't hesitate to reach out Thanks for coming on man
1: Thank you so much Thank you for having me
0: thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you are a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.